We have a very, very, very special treat uh, this morning. And we have uh, my good friend and uh, someone I look up to in, in many ways. Pastor Brandon Stewart is in the house. Come on, give him a big hand. Pastor Brandon is uh, from Champion Center in Tacoma, Washington. Uh, pastor Kevin, he's been here. You, many of you know uh, him. Pastor Kevin is his pastor, Pastor Kevin Gerald, in that, that church. But Brandon uh, leads a ministry called Leading Second and travels all over encouraging people. Uh, teams and teaching teams and, and consulting and with churches and leadership. And we had an amazing day yesterday with him, our teams, didn't we? Uh, he, he did that. He poured into us for, I don't know, that was, that was like eight hours worth of, you know, and it, it was a fire hose of information and different things. It was amazing. And uh, we had a great time with him yesterday. He's been here for a couple days and hanging out with our teams and, and just has incredible insight and he's got a message that I know is going to be just for, for us. And you're going to want to listen, not just with your ears, but listen as the Spirit speaks to him who has an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. And I believe they were new. So let's give a warm, warm Lethbridge welcome to Pastor Brandon. Man. So good. Good morning, Parallel Church. How are we this morning? Anyone glad to be in church on a Sunday morning? You thankful? Hey, would you do me a favor? All over the room, would you stand to your feet? I'm going to stand for like 30. I'm going to make you stand for three. How about that? Hey, I love this house so much. And um, I've fallen in love with the team and the culture. You, you know, you were my first um, COVID cancel two years ago. This has been a weekend like two years in the making um, when our state, Washington State, I live in the Seattle area, um, when we shut down, it was right that weekend I was supposed to come and I have been itching to get here ever since and uh, I've just fallen in love with the church, I've fallen in love with this house and I am therefore declaring today and this weekend that we are going to be family whether you like it or not. Because you don't get to choose your family, right? Whether I'm the really cool older brother that comes around or the annoying cousin you wish would leave, we're family. So uh, that's just how it's going to be from here on out. And um, Pastor Kelly, uh, Joylin, I just spotted you up there. It took me the whole service to figure that out. Um, I want to honor you guys. Thank you uh, for leading. Well, hold on. My goodness. Thank you for leading us with integrity. Thank you for leading us with character. Thank you for standing for Christ. Thank you for loving his church. Thank you for, for the way you unpack scripture. Just thank you. We, we honor you today. We celebrate you today. We, we know that God places men and women in authority over our lives as shepherds in his timing for his purpose. And just thank you for pastoring well. Thank you for leading well. We honor you today. Are you thankful for your pastors that God has placed them over you and... Amen. So I love, that is not obligatory. I know that's like the guest speaker thing, right? Like that would be the most important thing we could do all day. Would just be to realize that part of the faithfulness of God over the house are the leaders that he gives us. Amen. In Jesus' name. Um, how many of you are like me and you want to see this church move forward? Like do you... 
Do you believe that Jesus loves his church, that he's building his church, that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church? I just believe God has a great day ahead for this house. Um, we're going to get into the word in just a second, and I ask you to stand because I want to just honor the word this morning. Um, I had a plan coming in today. In fact, we recorded a message for online and the other locations, and God just messed up my plan today. I'm going on very thin notes. I'm just going to warn you today. But I have a word in my heart that I believe is, is um, maybe just for this morning, for this, for this group of people. And I may not know your name today. I may not know your story. I may not know your background. I may not know what brought you here. But I know Jesus. And I know his story. And I guess I came to tell you today that his story is more than enough for your story today. Regardless of what you're facing, regardless of the circumstances of your life, regardless of what you feel like is staring you down right now, there is hope, there is life, there is truth in the word of God today. And I haven't quite worked it out, a lifetime of being in church, I haven't quite worked it out how it works, but when we open this book, and when we read from its pages, things change. Yes. Stories are rewritten. Bodies are healed. Marriage is restored. Purpose comes alive. Like, I don't know how it works. I just know that Jesus comes and he does what only he can do. But I know that we have a responsibility in that. We have a responsibility to give him some space to work and some space to move. And so I don't know what you think of church. You might just be ready to get onto the lunch reservation today or something, but I, I see today as anything but ordinary, as anything but just another Sunday. So can we do that? Can we just give God some space? If you would join me, would you lift up your hands to heaven all over the room, anyone who's comfortable? And right now, would you just begin to do some business with God in your own way? Come on, believers. Why don't you just begin to talk to God? Why don't you say something like, Lord, I'm here today. I'm, a, I'm available. I'm ready. Jesus, would you come and speak? Would you come and move? We love you. We love your word. Truth amidst the chaos, Lord. Life abundant. Life to the fullest, Lord. It's in you. It's in your word. And so we give you space. We give you room to speak. We ask that you would come and correct, come and challenge. I believe today, Jesus, in the house, you want to give someone new eyes and a new name. And so I ask that you would come and you would do that work today. I pray, God, that I would get out of the way. I pray that you would have your way today. Come and do what only you can do. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. All God's people said a big amen. Come on, one more time. Let's thank Jesus. Let's honor his word. Let's prepare our hearts. Amen. All right, and you can take your seats. Thank you, guys. If you see someone else you'd rather sit by, go ahead and make your move now. Little about me, I've grown up in the same church my whole life. Uh, 40 of my 41 years on planet Earth have found me in one church under one pastor, one vision, and sometime along there, I fell in love with God's house. I believe the local church is the greatest thing happening on planet Earth today. I believe the local church is the greatest community on planet Earth today, the most generous, the most life-giving. You might say, well, yeah, but have you seen what the news says, or have you seen what culture says, and... I mean, I get it. Uh, the church is imperfect, uh, but so is your family, <laughs> and so is your mama, 
But sometimes something's got to rise up and you're like, well, you don't talk about my mama that way, right? And, and um, I, we live in this day where it's like trendy to be up on Jesus and spiritual but down on his church. And I just don't buy that. I believe the local church is the greatest thing happening on planet Earth. And I've just kind of signed up a long time ago. I was going to do whatever I could do to love and build the house of God. So uh, just receive me as someone that desperately wants to see the church move forward, this house move forward, and um, that really is the spirit of the house that I come from. Uh, I've been married for 17 years, 18 years this fall. Uh, we have two daughters. Uh, we have one who is 10, almost 11. No one told me that a 10-year-old is a teenager. <laughs> I wasn't ready for this last year, if I'm going to be honest with you. If you... If you need someone to dedicate some time, prayer, and fasting for, would you just sign my family up right now? Because my daughter, in about two weeks' time, is going to her first youth camp at church. God help us all. And, uh, and is in middle school this fall. So I am, I am reeling right now that um, I'm that old and that I have a moody, creative daughter who is awesome and beautiful, if we don't kill her in Jesus' name. Okay, um... <laughs> And then, uh, because apparently we don't do anything that's not um, dramatic in life, we uh, had a surprise at 40. I don't exactly know how it worked. Um, I used to travel about 250 days a year uh, on the road, and then COVID happened. Pastor Kelly canceled on me. I stayed home for like seven months. Um, and I don't know how it worked, but we got pregnant uh, somewhere in there and with a surprise. So 40 years old and pregnant. Um, not, we had just had a garage sale, Pastor Kelly, three months before and, and sold the last of the baby stuff. We didn't have a sock. Like, we didn't have anything. And I uh, bought the dad car. Uh, we did the whole thing. And uh, God blessed us. I'm actually not sure if we, do we have photos? Um, so our, our, if we do, great. Our baby, though, was born three months early uh, last year in, in, 2000, uh, in 2021. There she is. She was born about three pounds at 29 weeks uh, gestation, it was, a, it was an intense delivery. It was an emergency situation. And, um, and it sent us on quite a ride uh, last year that we didn't see coming. Uh, 51 days in the NICU, but God was so faithful. She was born with a brain bleed, a hole in her lung, uh, an E. coli infection, just a number of things. But God's hand was on her. He healed her. He restored her. 51 days later, we brought her home uh, from the NICU. That is us thankful to escape the hospital after almost two months. And then today, here's a next shot of her. This is her today. She is healthy, thriving, full of life. Um, oh man, I can't imagine life without her now. And uh, now, next slide. This is my family now of four. And this is us hosting our first conference event um, down in Texas this year for our ministry. So God's been faithful God's been good, and um, I'm excited about the word today. Would you turn in your Bibles to Revelation, the book of Revelation, chapter 3? Yes, we're going to go to the book of Revelation today. This is the scary book at the end of your Bible. This is the one with the beasts and the bulls and the creatures and the pregnant woman and I promise you it's going to be okay. You might be saying, what in the world did I just walk into this morning? Do you know the, the book of Revelation is a beautiful book? It's an incredible book of hope for us as God's people. It's the closest picture we have of Jesus today. It's the closest picture we have of King Jesus, of resurrected 
Jesus. Can I take you to Bible school for a minute? Can we talk about why we're going to go where we're going to go today for just a second? Do you love the word? There's so much beauty in this. If you just peel back the word one layer, you'll realize why we've anchored our hope and our life on this book and on its truth. The book of Revelation was written um, in um, the late first century. It's not conclusive when, um, but what we do know is that it was written during a period of difficulty for the early church. Times were tough. And one of the things I love about Scripture is that when times are tough, we can run and anchor our hope in the pages of Scripture. Because the people who wrote Scripture, the people who lived, this is not a, a veggie tale story, by the way. This really happened. Like, I hope you see that. This isn't, this isn't a cute Bible story with flannel graph, you know, characters. Some of you who grew up in church will get that reference. Others of you, just don't worry about it. It predates cassette tapes. Let's just say it that way. Um, we can always anchor our hope in Scripture because the writers of Scripture know. They know what it's like to face adversity. They know what it's like to be faithful under pressure. And so the book of Revelation is written by the Apostle John. He's in prison. Uh, Christianity in this day is kind of a young, frail movement just trying to find its footing in the known world. John had been arrested because he refused to bow his knee. And it's kind of believed, you know, nothing revives a young, frail movement like a martyr. And so they could have killed him, but instead they figure, let's just put him on a prison island, the island of Patmos. Let's just get him out of the way. Well, bad news for the Romans. It's out of that prison state. We get this incredible, incredible book, the book of Revelation. And John knows that, that times are tough for the church. And so John is writing to deliver hope. Hope. Hope to believers that they chose right. That in choosing Jesus, in professing Jesus, that they had chosen the right way, that the adversity they were experiencing because of their faith in Christ. He, he was trying to paint this picture. Guys, I want you to see Christ reigns today as king. That, that, that king, you chose the right side, and spoiler alert, we win in the end. He, he's trying to deliver a message of hope. And, hey, Canada, I know the last couple years have been tough. I know we've all been through a lot. I know that some of the situations we've dealt with have left us reeling, but I think we can find comfort and hope in Scripture that in the toughest times, our God still reigns on the throne. Amen? That Jesus is still king. And so it's beautiful. And he's writing, and the, the, the book of Revelation begins to go, starts and goes into seven letters to seven churches. And God led me to this passage or the, this area of Scripture in January because I was on a quest to answer this question. Here's the question. What does Jesus consider to be faithful in his church? Like, what's the goal of our life? What's the goal of building church? Is it to build a cool church? No. Is it to build an influential church with lots of Instagram followers? No. I mean, those things are all maybe byproducts at times, but I believe that the, the target, the goal of our lives, of our faith, and of our church is to build a faithful church. 
A church that Jesus looks at and says, well done, my good and faithful servants. You did it. You crossed the line. You, you, you won the prize in Christ Jesus. You are faithful to the end. And I believe one of the primary messages of this area of Scripture is a faithfulness. An, an examination. What does Jesus consider to be faithful in his church? And so today, I want to take us to one of the letters. If, you want, if you're in Revelation 3, I want to take us to verse 7. And I want to talk today out of Jesus' letter to the church in Philadelphia. And as we're going here, I think you're going to see where we're going. Um, but let's read together. Can we do that? Tur turn in your Bibles, click in your Bibles, whatever you got to do. Revelation 3. Verse 7, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is not Pennsylvania, by the way. Asia Minor. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. The Bible says he holds the keys of hell and death. He has conquered death. He is our eternal Savior. Amen? He holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts... No one can open. Interesting, by the way, this is one of the only churches Jesus doesn't correct. It's one of the only churches he doesn't rebuke. Or he doesn't say, I, I hold this against you. This is a faithful church. This is a church that's enduring. This is a church that's producing kingdom fruit. I pray that's parallel church. I pray that's my church. A church faithful to the end. And this is the word of the Lord. See, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word, and you have not denied my name. I will make those who are, the sin who are of the synagogue of Satan. This is very strong language, by the way. Um, this is like Christian cussing right here, I think. You know, call someone a synagogue of Satan. <laughs> who claim to be Jews... Though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. I was in Israel a couple years ago, 2019, and um, at the last minute got invited to speak at an incredible congregation the night, the night that we were leaving the country. Um, just had just visited the garden tomb that morning, kind of just a profound day, right? You see the tomb, it's empty, and then you go, man, it's just very humbling. Yeah. And you're talking to believers in the Middle East. Yeah. You're talking to believers, and, and I think a bit of context here, just so you know, when Jewish people profess Christ, they sign up for persecution. Yeah. Still today. Yeah. Um, your name can get put on lists. Your name, your name, you can be denied employment. You can be subject to social isolation all because of your faith in Christ. And at the end of this service, this beautiful Russian Jewish girl comes up with tears in her eyes. She couldn't, we, did, we had massive language barrier between us. Um, she didn't know English, but, but all she knew to say was, I believe. She was putting her faith in Jesus. And Lindsay, my wife was helping her, and then we got her hooked up with, with a leader in the church, you know, that could communicate with her and talk with her. It was just so striking to me because I thought, you know what? She realizes. She knows. She knows what she's signing up for. 
She knows that there are some that are a synagogue of Satan who are going to try to talk her out of her faith, who are going to try to talk her out of professing Jesus. And it was, just, it was just striking to me because so often in our Western context, in our free context, we forget sometimes the very real cost of following Jesus. Anyways, that, that's a little bit of what's going on here is you have believers who have distinguished themselves because they profess Christ. They're, having, they're, they're, they're facing different challenges because of their distinction in Christ. Since you've kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come on the whole earth to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Here's what I want you to see. We are in verse 11. Hold on to what you have so that no one can take your crown. What's the crown? Is the crown that they look cool? No. Is the crown, what's the crown? The crown is the name of Jesus professed over their life. The victory we have in Christ. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. What's interesting here about Jesus saying this, never again will they leave it. You have to understand the church that he's writing to. The church of the city of Philadelphia, while it was a fertile farming community, while it was an agricultural city, um, it was a city that faced constant earthquakes and lived in the, sh the shadow of a volcano. And so there was massive insecurity in this city. So, you know, many often the, the inhabitants of the city would have to leave the town and flee the city because of the danger of the earthquakes and the eruptions. So the very thing that made it fertile was, was the difficulty of the city. And so can you imagine you're sitting in church, this letter from Jesus to your church is, is being read and you live in the insecurity of your city, and you live in the uncertainty of, of, of what could go on tomorrow, what could happen to my family and our livelihood tomorrow, and then you hear the words of Jesus that says, never again will they leave it. To the one who is faithful, to the one who is victorious, I will make them a pillar in the temple of my God. Unshakable. Uncommon. The one that stands amidst the shaking. The one that stands when everything else falls, I will make you a pillar. I will, I will establish you. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down of heaven from my God. I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So the open door, here, here's my, my argument for you today. The open door that Jesus had set before them, some could argue it was a door of evangelism. I certainly think that that is true. But I think the more important application of this letter, the open door that Jesus had placed over this church was a door to the kingdom of God, a new identity, a new name. This is what they were challenged in. The Jewish people challenged whether they were being faithful to God. 
The Jewish people were challenging whether they had been, and, and those who had professed Jesus as Lord. Jesus is saying, I've placed before you an open door, a new name. I will write my name on them. I will establish them as a pillar in my house. Never again will they leave it. I want to talk to you for just a minute about the distinction of the believer. The distinction of the believer. This is you. This is me in scripture. Of all the words the Bible writers use to describe the believer, normal is not one of them. <laughs> you might have come in here today feeling average, feeling normal, feeling like, you know, not someone very special. But how God sees you is anything but normal. You don't send your only son and pay the ultimate price and die and hang on a cross and die for normal. The price you're willing to pay for something determines its value. When I refer to this, the, the distinction of the believer, this is a call to distinction, not superiority. We are not better than, but we are different from. Think, just think of how the, the, the Bible writers describe us. Words like called, elect, chosen, royal priesthood, holy nation, set apart, marked, salt, light. All of those words as catalysts to change something around them. Come on, are, are you getting this this morning, Parallel Church? Jesus said in this book, I will give them a new name. I, I wonder if you see you how God sees you. I wonder if you have accepted your distinction as a believer. Nothing about Jesus was normal. You have to understand this. People didn't come from miles around to hear Jesus, to hear normal. Jesus was confronting, he was challenging, but ultimately he was offering a new way forward. I have set before you an open door into a new identity with a new name. I will write my name on them. And that same distinction that same difference in the form of God's anointing rests on the inside of every believer, none more than the people that are right in this room today. <laughs> I wonder if you see you. This is not a declaration of superiority. It's a declaration of distinction. Our distinction as believers is not found in the circumstances we face. Our distinction as believers is found in the outcomes of those. We go through the same things the world goes through, but we come out differently. <laughs> you believe that? Men don't go into lion's dens and come out unharmed. But Daniel was distinct. He was different. God had raised him up in a godless culture 
to declare something new, to declare something to seek. Daniel chapter 6 says that Daniel distinguished himself because an excellent spirit was within him. I guess, Parallel Church, the message that I feel God placed on my heart for this morning was distinction. I wonder if you see you how God sees you. I will be honest with you. One of the major things God has done in my life, probably one of the number one ways God has brought me freedom has been freedom from insecurity. If I'm honest with you, I lived too much of my life bound up by what others thought of me. I lived too much of my life bound up by words others had placed over me. I lived too much of my life where the, the, the goal of my life was to please another man or another woman, a leader, uh, was to please man. And a few years ago, God began to work on me. He led me through a, a, a pivotal season in my life. And through some counseling, through some help, what I, what I came to realize was that when I would walk into a room... There was a script going on in the back of my head. There was a script in my heart that I didn't know existed, but it was there. It was real. You know what that script was? That script was constantly telling me, you're not enough. I walked into every room, and what I was telling myself is, you're not enough to be in this room. There was a day where I would have tried to get up here and impress you. I really don't care about that today, if I'm honest with you. I figure some ministries have the anointing of, like, the entree. Pastor Kelly, you know, where it's like it's meat, it's potatoes, it's good, it's fancy. You know, it, it fills you up. Some ministries have the anointing of uh, the dessert. You know, it's, it tastes really good. It's a sugar high. You're going to run the aisles. Uh, if you've grown up in church, you'll know what that reference is to, you know. But I kind of figure God gave me the anointing of vegetables, and I didn't really come to impress you, and you may not want to hear it, but it will help you grow. It will help you strengthen and, you know, move forward. And I guess I just kind of had to be okay with being vegetables, you know. Um, but I lived that way. You're not enough. And my freedom was identifying that and realizing I was never supposed to be enough. That was never the goal. That was never the point. That in reality, what I was supposed to learn is that Christ is enough. Yes. Is that Christ Jesus on me is enough. And I don't need more of me. By the way, one of the worst pieces of advice you could ever give someone is, you do you. You be you. What a terrible thing to tell somebody. You, you do you, boo. Your truth. Sorry, I'm going to meddle and step on toes for a minute. But like, like, what a terrible thing to tell somebody. I don't want to do me. Me is a terrible, horrible, wretched sinner who thinks less of themselves, insecure. But I don't want to do me. I want Jesus in me. I, I want the resurrection power of Christ on the inside of me. I don't want to do more of me. I want to do more of Jesus. Jesus, I, I want an open door. I want to step through that open door. I want to I live with the name of Jesus over my life. I guess I wanted to call you today, Parallel Church, to a, a place of distinction. 
a, a place of confidence where you would know that God has called you to something significant in your life and it has absolutely nothing to do with you and how you see you. It has everything to do about Jesus and how he sees you and about how he loves you and about how he has purposed you and he's graced you and he's got more for you. Man, there could be someone in this room today. You're having suicidal thoughts. You're here today on your last leg. You're here today... Man, I just need a sign. I just need something to know. I need to keep on living. Well, consider this your sign, that our God loves you. He set before you an open door. He wants to write a new name on you today, a name of distinction, a name of purpose, that you have something to live for, and it's not you. It's Jesus. It's Jesus in you. It's the hope of glory on the inside of you. We're not better than, but we are different from. So I guess I came with two questions today to land this plane today. Do you see you how God sees you? Do you see your distinction as a believer? Like you can be the one that stays planted in church when it feels like everybody's leaving. You can be the one full of faith in a culture of doubt. You can be the one that stands for Christ when it feels like everyone else is abandoned. You can be the one that goes the distance. You can be the one that here's well done, my good and faithful. I just wonder if you see it. I wonder if you see it. The enemy is at work to degrade what Jesus has paid the highest price for. This has been the work of the enemy from the beginning of time. To degrade, to get you to think less of what God has given you. There's a story in the Old Testament, Jacob and Esau. Esau came in from the field one day weary, tired. And his weariness caused him to be short-sighted and he sold his birthright for momentary relief, a bowl of soup. It's just the enemy at work to get you to degrade. Sell your birthright for a bowl of soup. Sell who you are in Christ for a lesser definition in the world. I just wonder if you see you how God sees you today. I have set before you an open door, a door that no one can shut. I want to write my name on you, the Lord says. My second and final question for you today is this. I wonder if you can see the distinction of this house. I wonder if you can see what is special about this church, what is special about this house. I wonder if you have eyes to see it. I wonder if you have eyes to see how beautiful this house is, this church. I wonder if you have eyes to see the beautiful work that Jesus is doing in this church. Because God speaks to us not just individually sometimes. He also speaks to us corporately. And this church is like mine. This church is standing here today on decades of faithfulness. Decades of believers who have gone before us, who have sacrificed, who have given, who have served, who have paved the way for us to have what we have today. I just want you to think about it. You're sitting on a chair today. 
that someone somewhere back when skipped a vacation or skipped a couple months of coffees, you know, or something to, to, to give into an offering, to, to buy a chair, to make a way for someone to sit on it in the future and hear the good news of Jesus over their life. Like you're, you're, you're sitting on that chair today because somebody, I wonder if you can see what's special about this house. Because I'll tell you coming in from the outside, I love this house. This house is a special, unique work of God in it. I just wonder if you have eyes to see it. I want to read this story in closing. I love this story. It says this, a few years ago in Washington, D.C., a man quietly took his place up against the metro wall, the subway wall, pulled out his violin, placed his hat on the ground, and began to play. For this day, he had chosen six selections from Bach. During his performance, several thousand people walked by. Some stopped to listen briefly. Some gave sympathy money. On several occasions, little children stopped to listen, but every time they did, their parents would pull them on. Maybe it was just childlike curiosity, or maybe the children sensed something. That beggar... <laughs> On the street that day was the world-renowned Joshua Bell. The instrument that sang in his hands was a violin valued at $3.5 million. Just a couple days earlier, people had packed a Boston theater to hear him play, paying an average of $100 a seat. But today, his concert in the subway netted a mere $32, mostly from sympathy. When he finished... There was no applause. There was no standing ovation. There was nothing to acknowledge the magnificent talent that had been on display. The music stopped. The violin went back into its case, and the master walked away. Here's the point. For nearly an hour, there had been grandeur there, but no one noticed it, recognized it, or valued it. They had been in the presence of greatness, but they didn't have eyes to see it. They didn't have ears to hear it. I wonder if you see you how God sees you today. And I wonder if you see this house how God sees this house today. The church he is raising up. I believe that in the coming days, Parallel Church, I believe that a confused world needs a powerful church. A confused world needs a clear church. A confused world needs a church on mission. Like this, this, this city needs you. This city needs parallel church, healthy, thriving, on mission, not distracted, on purpose. And what I'm trying to argue for you today, a confused world needs a faithful church, a church that Jesus would look at and say, well done, my good and faithful servants. Amen. Do you receive that today? Would you do me a favor? Would you stand to your feet one more time? If, if you would, no one leaving. And with every head bowed, every believer in prayer this morning, Jesus, I thank you for this house. I thank you that you love this house. I thank you that you are for this house. I thank you that you are building this house. 
I thank you that the gates of hell will not prevail against this house. And Jesus, I pray over the season we're stepping into. I thank you that you have been faithful to thank you how you have sustained us the last two years, God. Thank you how you have been, you have strengthened this house. Thank you how you have, have solidified, Father, our purpose and our identity. And now, Jesus, I pray that you would raise this house up as a great city on a hill in Lethbridge, in southern Alberta, Father, in Canada, for the glory of the name of Jesus. Would you do it, Lord? Would you grace this house? Would you favor this house, Lord? May we walk in the open door that you've set before us, I pray in Jesus' name. And Father, I now I pray for every believer. I pray, Jesus, today that we would begin to see ourselves as you see us today, Jesus. I pray that you would give us new eyes and a new name. I pray that we would proudly, Father, accept the name of Jesus over our lives today. Father, I speak against insecurity right now. I speak against shame. I come against you in the authority of the name of Jesus. You cannot stay in our hearts today. You cannot stay in our lives. In fact, right now with every head bowed, every eye closed, every believer in prayer, as I've been talking today, if, if, if your journey is like mine and you're saying, man, I, I, I feel riddled with insecurity today. I feel riddled with shame Maybe, maybe something in there has resonated with you today and you want to accept once and for all the beautiful, powerful, awesome name of Jesus over your life, who he says that you are. Would you raise your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to know who I'm praying for today. Who, who did God bring into this room that's like me? He'd say, I, 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 this is so good. Come on, hands held high. I come against insecurity in the name of Jesus. I come against doubt in the name of Jesus. I oppose your authority in our lives today. You cannot stand. You, Satan, you cannot steal, you cannot kill, and you cannot destroy purpose over our lives today. We accept the blood of Jesus over our lives. We accept the new name that you've written over our lives. Holy Spirit, would you come right now? Would you flood their hearts? Would you break the bondage? Would you break the chains? Would you remind them? Would you fill them with your purpose? Would you fill them with your presence right now in the name of Jesus? In the name of Jesus, you are called, you are elect, you are chosen, you are salt, you are light, you are a royal priesthood, you are a holy nation, you are set apart from our God. Our God loves you so much, he died for you, he rose again for you, and now today he is filling you with this new sense of his spirit, with a new sense of his presence. Walk in it today, be commissioned in it today, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. And Father, everything that is said today may have been for your glory, may have been for your honor, and for the advancement of your church today in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Thank you, Parallel Church. God bless you guys. Paul says in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he rose again from the dead, you will be saved. So I want to run through a prayer with you right now that does exactly that. And it's not joining a church. It's not joining a religion. Simply just a relationship with God. So if you'd like, I'd encourage you to close your eyes, bow your head, repeat this prayer after me. So dear Jesus, I confess that you are God. And I believe that you rose again from the dead. And I ask you now to become my Lord, to become my Savior, to become my friend. 
I thank you that my past is past and that I can begin anew with you today. My heart is yours. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So guys, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, congratulations. If this, if you accepted Jesus into your heart, congratulations on an amazing, amazing decision. Uh, we have a form that you can fill out. If you click on the link that has been provided in the chat there, click on that link, fill out that form. We'd love to just be a part of your journey, love to help you out in any way that we possibly can. Uh, so click that link, fill out that form, and if you have any questions or anything like that, we'd love to, to just be there for you. And again, congratulations on this amazing, amazing decision.